Thanks for listening to The Wild Women Who Write, Kathy Nichols, Kim Connery, Elizabeth Jones, Kat Filer, and Gabby Anderson. Tonight, Wild Women Who Write would like to welcome Christy Alexander Hallberg, the author of Searching for Jimmy Page. And Christy is going to talk about how she started out in as a teen in North Carolina, Greenville, and that she had lots of posters on the wall of Led Zeppelin posters that were kind of devoted or highlighted Jimmy Page, and how this, this influenced the book that she wrote, Searching for Jimmy Page. And the book has actually won numerous awards. It won the 2021 American Writing Awards winner in Best New Fiction and Fiction General, the 2022 Independent Press Award Distinguished Favorite in General Fiction, the 2022 BookFest Honorable Mention in Fiction, the 2022 Firebird Book Awards winner, third place Literary Fiction, second place Southern Fiction, first place Pop Culture Fiction, and the 2022 National Indie Excellence Awards finalist in Music. So this book has had a great deal to offer in different categories and for different people. And it's a, it's a pretty fascinating book. I'd like for you to talk to us a little bit about how you went from those posters of Jimmy Page to searching for Jimmy Page. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate being here. And it's nice to meet all of you. I was a fan of Led, I'd been a fan of Led Zeppelin since I was 15. I have older siblings. The next to the youngest is 10 years older than I, my brother, Steve. And he was a rock drummer in various bands around my hometown. And he idolized John Bonham, the drummer for Led Zeppelin. So a lot of my musical proclivities came through him. He was, he was interested in classic rock and, and that kind of, I, I absorbed that. So I really got interested in Led Zeppelin when my mother and I came home from church one day and Steve was in the living room, sprawled out on the couch, watching MTV's production, or it wasn't the production, they were showing, MTV was showing the Led Zeppelin concert film, The Song Remains the Same for the first time. And I was just riveted. I just was immediately captivated. My reaction to seeing Jimmy Page on the screen was a visceral one. And I was a massive fan from then on out. And what was it, like days later, my mother's helping me hang posters on, on my bedroom walls. And, and that's just kind of how it went all through my teenage years and into my 20s and, and so forth. And what would you say that the origin story for the novel is? Well, it, it really has a long gestation. I first started working on a very different variation of this as my MFA creative thesis. I was at Goddard College in Vermont, and I, I knew I was going to write in some way, shape, or form about Jimmy Page. I didn't, I didn't know really what role he would take in the story. And I, my mother died while I was working on that degree, and she made me promise I'd finish it, and I did. But we were very close, she and I, and so when she died, I was devastated. And I didn't write anything for a very long time after that. So I finished the degree, I finished that book, which was my creative thesis, and it just sat there. I knew it wasn't ready to go out, but I didn't have the creative energy or the heart really at that time to get in there and revise it and get it ready. So I abandoned it. And then in 2005, in order to kind of shake myself out of that grief spiral I was in, I knew I had to do something totally out of character to do that. And I heard about a guitar contest 
that Jimmy Page and Brian May from Queen were judging in London, summer 2005. And I thought, that's it. And you, if you knew me, you would know I'm not the groupie type. I am not somebody who goes chasing after rock stars. But that seemed enough out of character. that, I, And he was such an integral part in my relationship with my mother and my brother that, I, you know, I kind of viewed him in this respect as kind of the gatekeeper to my healing. Like if I can make that journey, make that vision quest, get there, then maybe I can come home and get it together. And I'd never been out of the country before. I didn't have a passport, but I got a passport and I got on a plane. I knew I had to make that journey alone. So I went and I went to this contest and I wound up doing exactly what Luna does in the novel. I chased him down the hall at the Hammersmith Palais in London and made him speak to me. So that was my first trip to England. And that, that kind of brings about another incarnation of this story that eventually became the novel because 10 years later, actually more than that, no, it was 2014. I lost my husband to cancer. So not 10 years oh my later. Goodness, I'm um, sorry. And I, yeah. And then I was in the same situation again, you know, it was in that, that grief spiral. And so um, I made the trip again. And actually that was my third trip to England. And it, you know, just those two trips in 2005 and 2015 took on this monumental meaning for me in terms of my own personal well-being. And I decided, well, I'll write a memoir about that experience. Well, what happened is that I did write the memoir, and it was called Searching for Jimmy Page. And it focused a lot on the grief that I was dealing with, still with my mother and now with my husband, and that trip I made in 2005. And what it wound up becoming is, is just this great tool to deal with the grief. And it really didn't need to go out either. So I thought, you know, well, damn, there I am <laughs> with another 300 pages that really I can't do anything with. And I, I let it rest for a bit and then decided I'm, I am going to turn this into a novel. That's what it always needed to be. And I'm going to finish it and get it out there. So Spent two more years totally recrafting it, totally remaking it, until finally, here it is. So it's, it's a very long birthing story. Well, it's a very beautiful story that deals, like you said, with grief, but this also with identity. And, it, and it's a testament to the power of art and music and how they connect us to others and to ourselves. But that was pretty amazing how you worked with that. And the one song in particular that plays a big part in Claudia, the mom in the story, and Luna's own personal myths is Four Sticks. What is it about that song that inspired you to give it such a prominent role in your story? Well, that's a song on Led Zeppelin's fourth album, that iconic album that has Stairway to Heaven on it. A lot of people overlook the song Four Sticks, but I've always loved it. I think it is rife with imagery and mythology. And there's the images of the pines and the owls and, and rivers running red and running dry. And I always, when I, I got serious about this last incarnation of the book, I just, I thought, I want to work with those images. And that song is perfect. So it became, it really kind of became a character in the book. It's playing on the stereo of the mother, Claudia, when she commits suicide. So there, it really permeates the whole book. But I've just always been interested in the imagery that's in that song. 
Well, and you mentioned the owls, one of the lines in the book, them owls like music, can you hear the music? And that has a kind of a mystical yeah. feel in the book. Is how, Can you explain that a little? Well, the owl is a symbol of the feminine, and ancient Christians associated it with Lilith, Adam's first wife, this willful, lupricious woman. And some Native Americans associate the owl with protection and prophecy and others with death. I keep going back to that mythology that I'm interested in. So that line that shows up really early in chapter one kind of establishes that there's a connection to the song that we're going to find out about. And it establishes how important that song is going to be in the story. And another important line comes from Ecclesiastes 6.10 that which hath been is named already. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, that's fascinating to me. It speaks to me about the concept of fate, and that has a lot to do with what's going on in the novel, fate versus self-creation or free will. And I love the idea of using art. I mean, the stories that we tell ourselves, family lore, and I've got a lot of that, (laughs) and myth that, you know, we use to kind of create our own personal narratives. So art and myth are crucial to Luna in that regard. And like you were saying earlier, she gets that from her mother, Claudia. And in that Bible verse, and I can't, you know, I've been working on this book for so long. I don't remember how I first stumbled across that verse. I was probably Googling Bible verses and something, but wound up coming across that. And I just immediately said, that's perfect. That's, that really encapsulates what I'm trying to do here. How much of, of who we are is inborn? You know, how much of who we are is established by the time we actually arrive? And how, and how much power do we have to create who we, who we are? So that line just sort of set all that in motion for me. And another thing that I think is so appropriate for how long the, it took you to get to where you needed to be with the book and where it was where you felt it was you were ready to share it is it was inevitable perhaps it was even providence now would lead me to then the tale demanded to be told and I feel like this definitely demanded to be told and and you told it so well and obviously you had to do quite a bit of research yeah well the research that I mainly did, because like I said, I've been a massive fan since I was 15 years old. So I'd already read all the books about Led Zeppelin. I'd already seen all the documentaries and the interviews and all of that. That was just kind of part of my language. So I didn't have to really do a lot of that. What I did need to do, because half the book takes place in England, I needed to go there. So I needed to piggyback on that 2005 trip. And I've already said I went in 2015. I went in, 20, in 2006 as well. And then the last time I went was in 2018. It was interesting because the first three trips were all conducted during the summer. And I had a scene in the England part of the novel that, and and actually Luna is there in March, I believe. And so I had a scene that involved Kensington Gardens. And I remember this carousel when I was there the first three times but that was in the summer. So mm. when I went the last time, it was during my spring break in, in March. And I got to Kensington Gardens and there was no carousel. Mm. And I thought, what, what? So I went and asked somebody at a food kiosk where it was. And they said, well, they take that down in the winter and put it back up in, I don't know, April or May or something like that. So I thought, well, I'm 
I'm really glad I came because there's only so much you can learn about a place from Google. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something that takes you to a different level of understanding a place when you actually go there. And then there are those little details like that that you probably aren't going to discover unless you go there during the time that you're setting the story. So I had to go back and, and rewrite that part. And that's just a tiny little detail, but to me that was important. So I went to all of the sites that Luna goes to in the book. She goes to Jimmy Page's house in London Tower House. I've not been inside, obviously, but I've but I have been on the outside. And if he's got surveillance footage, he's probably thinking, God, there's that woman again. She <laughs> keeps coming back. So I've been there. I've been to his former home in Windsor called Old Mill House, which is where Led Zeppelin drummer John Bonham passed away in 1980. I've been there. And I've, I've been to Boleskine House, which used to be owned by the occultist Aleister Crowley. And Jimmy Page wound up owning the house later. Mm. And so that was my, I needed to go, there's like that one last location in the book that I had not visited. So in 2018, I, I crossed that off the list. I'm trying to think where else. Oh, Headley Grange, the manor house outside London where Led Zeppelin recorded their iconic fourth album. Mm. I I went there in uh, 2015, and that was an incredible experience. I tracked down the owner online and wrote him a snail mail letter and explained the situation with my my husband had passed away, and I was going to make that trip. 10 years to the day that I made the initial trip in 2005. And this was all you know, just a very important trip for me. And I didn't expect to hear anything back, but he wrote me back and invited me to come. So I, I got there and the cab driver took me to the, it's so funny, the cab driver says, I take people to this house, tourists to this house all the time. And some of them climb over the fence or some of them just stand outside the fence and, and look. There's not that much you can see when you're standing at the fence. But when when he got to the fence with me, the gates opened. And it was like, you know, welcome to Valhalla. And he's sitting there going, holy, I can't say what he said. <laughs> he was just thrilled that he was actually going to drive into the, through the gates and, and actually see the manor house. So, yeah, I mean, that was incredible. I, I got to go inside and see the actual stairway to heaven and go into the parlor where Robert Plant sat in front of the fireplace writing the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven. It was amazing. So that that's the research I did. It was primary research, just going to the locations. So you really were part of part of the story before you knew you were part of the story. Your fascination with Jimmy Page and with Led Zeppelin and your understanding of all that, that, that makes it really kind of a, like you said, almost a faded story. Uh, a story that had to be told. And I'm going to ask you a little bit about your podcast and your next project, but first I wanted to see if any of the other wild women had any questions that they would like to ask. Kat, yes. More of a comment than a question. I just wanted to let you know that uh, when I started researching you for the interview, I had, my husband listens to this stuff about writers with a polite smile on his face. (laughs) (laughs) When he saw what I was looking at, he asked to read the book. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. Thank your husband for me. No, thank you, because you've got him reading again. Oh, yay. All right. Well, I hope he enjoys it. 
So tell us a little bit about your podcast. Well, I've always been interested in the convergence of music and fiction. And there, there are tons of books out there that are nonfiction that have to do with music, you know, biographies and criticism. And, but I, you know, and I wasn't really that aware of the existence of a subgenre known as rock novels until I wrote my own and wound up talking with Jeff Jackson. And he wrote a wonderful rock novel called Destroy All Monsters, The Last Rock Novel. And I was talking to him and he said, you know, there's, there's just a, a, there are a ton of rock novels out there and you should check out some of them. And, I, and this was news to me. I thought, well, I was writing this book, but I never considered it a rock novel. To me, it was just literary fiction that brought together my passions. So I got to reading these books and I, I thought, I haven't come across any podcasts that really focus on that. And it just, it wound up that I got this podcast through Pantheon Podcast Network. And that's what I do. I bring on writers who've written rock novels and talk to them. And, and then for the last segment, I'll bring in a music expert who can talk about, can kind of lend real world context to whatever artist shows up in the novel or musical period or music issue. So it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I've, I've been able to talk to some amazing writers and amazing music experts and and I'm having a great time and I know you teach at East Carolina University we were talking earlier before we really got started and how wow if you had a course called rock is lit I think you might be the coolest kid on campus (laughs) but um, uh, it's you should you should start working on your syllabus for that was speaking of working on things what's your next project well, the audiobook of Searching for Jimmy Page has just come out. Oh. So I am thrilled about that. I didn't narrate it. Melissa Connell did, and she did a fantastic job. So there's that that's out in the world now. And I, I've got some other writing projects that I'm working on, but mainly I'm focusing on the podcast right now. Well, that is that is great. And, and do your students, I'm sure your students are aware of your podcast. I have not talked a lot about it with my students, believe it or not. Yeah, I can kind of understand that. Sometimes you keep your world separate. Uh-huh. But, but I think that they might they might really be interested in that, too. It's just kind of, to me, a broadening of how we look at literature and a broadening of how there's so many things that we can do with technology that get people reading again. So right. So that, that's exciting. Well, it has really been great talking to you, Christy. Did, did I miss anything that you would like to say to our audience? No, I think... I will just leave you with this final thought. Listeners, if you're interested in writing a rock novel, skip the song lyrics. Just (laughs) don't even try to put them in there because I spent months trying to get permission to use song lyrics and I have yet to hear from Led Zeppelin's publishing company. So my publisher, we, we were getting closer and closer to my publication date and he said, take them out. So I thought, oh God, this is just gonna totally screw up everything. But what I found, and and he concurred, is that the book became better because of it, because what I had to do was a creative workaround. I had to get to the essence of the song and and the images and and use them in in a way that wasn't quoting directly. So that's that's my parting advice. That's very good, because I think uh, as writers, we often try to put some lyrics, poetry, whatever, in our books, and it's kind of tricky. But I do need you to tell us where we can get this book. 
pretty much anywhere you you get your books, your local indie bookstore, and of course there's Amazon, and the audiobook is on Amazon and Audible and iTunes. So anywhere you get your books. Okay, great. Thank you again, Christy, so much. Uh, the Wild Women have really enjoyed getting to know you and to get to know more about Rock is Lit. So we well, will. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us tonight. We welcome your comments and invite you to check out our Wild Women Who Write website. Until next time, keep writing and stay wild.